This is Within and Between, a podcast about the methods and meta-science behind developmental science. Jessica Logan and it's Sarah Hart and that was Julie Andrews and today <laughs> together we are with within in between within in between all of us <laughs> <laughs> I have to say I mean that was beautiful I mean Julie Andrews is just amazing right but I was mm. secretly hoping that you would actually sing it yourself Jess <laughs> uh, we'll see how it uh, goes for the rest of the podcast you okay. never know now, you know, I also then didn't push it too hard because then I was scared you were going to say, we both need to sing it. <laughs> and ain't nobody wants to hear that <laughs> from me. <laughs> Christmas carols. Yeah. <laughs> one day, one day maybe I'll have to warm up my voice first properly before you're, coming on one of these You're getting all things. nervous about uh, singing on the podcast, eh? Oh, apparently. Ah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> We did uh, last year. I went and did the sing along to the Messiah. I used to sing those all the time, you know, with the. But it's been ages. The the Messiah handle, the the Hallelujah chorus. Probably know that one. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah that one. So you what? can there's sing, sing a little bit. Things. Sing a sing a little more for me. I don't think I understand. I know it. <laughs> you looked so confused. That's why. That's why I did it. You did it on purpose. You're no, so I actually didn't know it till you said the hallelujah <laughs> one, but then I was letting you just gonna start singing it. But what I kept was uh, confused about you saying along to it where? Like you went out on the streets and sang? No, it's like a thing that a lot of uh symphonies will do. And they'll set up and you can go in and they you bring your own sheet music and you sit down and the orchestra plays and you sing along. The whole audience can it's sing like along. One of my worst nightmares, actually. Oh gosh. It's so fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> the hardest part, though, is that if you, unless you get there really early, like, they don't have it blocked off, so you don't get to sit with your section necessarily, which makes it harder. Oh, oh, like sing. they section it out by like range. They do, but if you're not there in time, then you oh. just end up sitting next to a bass and a soprano, and then it's like, uh, find your part. Can you remember where it is? It's been a long time since I sang that song. So okay. Uh, apparently this is a caroling podcast now <laughs> yeah well you know we I one of the reasons the few reasons I'm thankful for COVID is that hopefully our neighbor who is beautiful and amazing and loves to come around and do caroling at Christmas is not actually going to carol this Christmas because I get so vicariously embarrassed about it that I run and I refuse to answer the door and what? my husband thinks I'm a total asshole. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you embarrassed? to be? Beca- wait a minute. I'm so I confused. I know. I can't do it. I can't watch other people carol at our door. It, I even thinking about it. If everybody can see, I'm like, oh, no. You're, cr- you're literally cringing. Wait, is it because you're afraid they're going to mess up? You're afraid that you're going to judge them as being terrible? Like what? No, what, I just want where nothing this to do fear? with the situation. Nothing. <gasps> I don't, I don't want to hear it. There, I mean, she's like a music instructor. That's what she does. She's a music teacher. So she's good. 
But no, I don't want it. I don't want it. So you're saying I'm not inviting you caroling. Got it. No. <laughs> what about karaoke? Can you handle karaoke? I dislike, Is that different? I dislike watching karaoke. I have done karaoke before. And normally, of course, there's usually beverages involved with karaoke. <laughs> and so then with beverages, I like to sing karaoke. I don't uh, actually yes. like to particularly listen to other people do karaoke. Um, no. But you don't have that same cringy reaction. I I, your body language has totally changed. Yeah, You're nice and relaxed better. now. It's not my t- first choice of things to do, but no, it's not as cringy. For what I just care, it's just, woo, I cannot be near it. My husband loves it. He thinks it's amazing that they come around every year. He sits and listens to them. And I hmm. go and I hide in another part of the house and hope that they don't see me. That is hilarious. <laughs> so there. Now that like, is truly oh, hilarious. Sarah is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, you know what? I bet it's because un- in most circumstances, okay, no, wait, I actually think I have the answer. In most circumstances, you're in, like when we went, when we'd go to concerts, when you go to like a rock show, whatever, there's a 2,000 people in the audience and like five people on stage. And when it's caroling, it's the reverse. You've got two people watching 25 people sing carols oh maybe that's and so it's like the eyes are actually on you yeah in a way that they aren't at any other time that you're observing music so it's not about you performing it's about you being the watcher and so your reactions are going to be judged and you know you have a face you have a good reactions face and so people know how you feel about things Hmm. so put on a mask this year (laughs) And then no. you're, you're still like, no way. No way. I just don't want to be involved. <laughs> All right. Well, I love Christmas caroling and I'll never come to your house. I promise. Thank you. But yeah, I will happily listen to you sing for our podcast. So <laughs> somehow that's different. One it is on very one. different. One on one. Yeah. I don't know why. Hmm. Well, okay. So we yeah. started off with Julie Andrews and favorite things today because... We wanted to talk a little bit about our favorite things about doing developmental science and being developmental scientists. And so we uh, reached out to our listeners on the Twitters Mm -hmm. and asked them to tell us about their most favorite things about doing their work and about being a developmental scientist. And we got some really fun responses. Yeah, that we're going to go through. And I think part of our idea was to do this episode, right, is that there are there can be a lot of focus on the like the negative part of our work, you know, another mm-hmm. paper rejection or terrible reviewer comments or, you know, how hard it is to find a job in the job market and how, how stressful that is. And so there can be a lot of focus on those parts. And and it's just easy. I think there's a psychological phenomenon, isn't there? Yeah. Showing my yeah. poor training in psychology uh, <laughs> that we focus you know, why everybody always just leaves negative reviews online and you don't leave as many positive reviews. Like, right. You, you talk about the negative more than the positive. So we wanted to focus on the positive. Um, It's easier. You know what they say about, it's like those anger. That's the quick way to the dark side of the force. Oh yeah. Or the um, pain. What is it? The other. Yeah. Anger, pain, and suffering. Those are, those are the ones. So we're trying to get us all on the light side here. By focusing, it takes a lot more energy and focus to really think about the positive and wonderful things. Mm-hmm. I think it's less quick, but I think it's uh, it's really good. And I we we have for years tried to be people who focus on 
positive things and think about how to celebrate because like you said, it's just, we don't do that enough. I feel like in this, in this industry. No, we don't. It's kind of slow. Everything that we get is sort of like a slow celebration. So here's some good fun ones. Yeah. Cause it's easy to forget to celebrate, right? We've talked about this, that when it's hard to know when to celebrate when a part, like a paper being accepted or not, you mm-hmm. know, what stage or same thing when you're going up for, you know, 10 years, same thing when you celebrate. So, uh, here we go. We're going to celebrate now in this, this, the season of, uh, darkness becoming lighter for the winter solstice. Yes. yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the appropriate reason to celebrate the season, the w- winter solstice, right? <laughs> the win- <laughs> yeah. Winter solstice days getting, lo- I just saw this. It's only like three more days until it's the days start to get longer. Tomorrow is, is just the winter solstice, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I must have seen this two days ago then. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Happy maybe it won't quite be dark at 4.30 again someday soon. Gosh, time is so weird right now. COVID is bizarre. Just is. bizarre. I will All say right, hearing so, – okay, yeah, you're right. Let's no, just get into it. Let's get into uh, it. Okay, fine. So we what we did is we took all of the ones that people gave us and we've sort of organized them into categories. Um, and the first category we have here is people who have talked about uh, translating things to parents or the community. Um, and I guess the well, I'll start by reading our first one here, which is talking to my anxious new parent friends about cognitive development. Oh my gosh, I love doing that so much. I could not agree more. That it's is just delightful. One of my most favorite things about being a developmental scientist. And having just even a like an intro textbook level understanding of most areas of you know child development at least um, to be able to to at least give like little pearls of wisdom uh, to new parents or to parents in general. Yes. I at least when I teach child psychology when I used to teach child psychology at the undergrad level, I would survey the students at the beginning of the semester, and you know I had these big classes of two hundred and twenty students. And about only like 40% of them were psychology majors and like 50% of them were uh, liked kids and wanted to be parents one day. That's why they told me that they were taking the class. Wow. Uh, And so I heavily favored the class towards like parenting tips or how this would be translated to parenting or how we can think about this when parenting. Um, And pretty consistently people, you know, would have a sibling or they've had a child or you know, and they would talk about their experience and then talk about how it was useful to hear this, you know, when they're, um, when people that they knew were having kids. So Mm -hmm. yeah, when I would teach, I used a popular science text, like supplemental textbook. It was like a little paperback textbook. Um, Mm -hmm. and it talked, it was a sort of overview, popular fiction, popular science fiction book. Wait, no popular science. How do you say that? It was a book written about science for the general for general audiences. Okay, I don't know what you call that. I'm um, having anyway, a moment and too. Yeah, <laughs> has those like describing experiments for the babies and things like that. What babies already know, and it's just it was so cool to be like to talk about that with people. And I love giving that book to new parents to say like ah. read about, especially people. I feel like now, <laughs> I feel like now, so many people don't have access to children. Like when, before you had a kid, when's the last time you hung out with a baby? Never. Cause even the, my very brief babysitting career, uh, I never did babies. 
And yeah. there we have, I have a very small family. I don't really have cousins. I have a few, but they never lived close to me. Uh, and I don't have any siblings, you know, from my mom at least. And so, you know, nope. You didn't really grow up with it around. Yeah. No. I, I feel like that's really, really common. And I think it's becoming more common as families get more isolated and insular. And so we're, they don't, we don't know. People don't know what babies can do and what they can't do. And they haven't been around them. So it's kind of cool to open people's eyes that way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the, I think that that's, for me, one of the best parts of, of being a developmental scientist, for sure. Oh, it's so fun. Um, so I guess the next one here in this section is mm-hmm. developing, conducting, and using research that can change the trajectory of someone's life from a young age. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. You're right, because, I mean, everybody who does science, I think, in some ways, seeking to change the world. Yeah. And... uh Ours, in some ways, being a developmental science feels a little more tangible than, I don't know, if you study, obviously, it feels more tangible to us. That's probably why we're here. (laughs) I was like, not biased at all. I know. (laughs) Of course, we're in the most applied, useful, scientific (laughs) field. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh. Yes. Okay, fine. No, but I agree. And there is something to be thought of, you know, like. I can bigger. I don't. I. I have now that I'm thinking about it. I'm like, is this actually known? I. It must be. Like, is there a bigger change that can be enacted in an individual's life if it happens in their childhood? Um, uh, that's versus, certainly some of the hypotheses that are out there. Um, yeah. Yes. So, and some of the research out there suggests that that's the case. Okay. So if you know, if you buy into that hypothesis that this is kind of a key and you can set trajectories. Uh, you know, it feels like you can have a big impact on on an individual. At least you can, you know, I don't think that everybody that's doing developmental science work is always, you know, the, should should they have to always translate or not, and they're, are not actually translating their work. You know, there's basic work within developmental science as well, but mm-hmm. kind of always the broader mission. Yeah, you're kind of looking towards that someday somebody might be able to use this work for parenting interventions or school interventions or... Um, you know, just our understanding of how I don't know, the perceptual system develops or whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, our next one here ties right into what we were just talking about, which is teaching students how astonishing human development is and how much babies and kids already know about the world. Yeah. So like this theme of how developmental science is amazing because we get to teach students about it. And... Yeah. I, I imagine we're not unique about those, but in no. that perspective either. <laughs> but I always say that at least when I taught child psych, um, it was like cheating because I got to show the students in my class like cute children, kids videos, you know, like on YouTube, like the funny <laughs> videos of kids doing, you know, the craziest things. And I got to do that in my class. And I feel like that's cheating compared to some of my colleagues who maybe don't have the ability to show kid videos as part of their, Mm. you know, content. So Yeah, I have never shown a baby crawling as part of my statistics courses. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I sure as heck did for all my child development courses. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about the cliff study. Watch how this baby stops crawling. And everybody goes, oh, it's so cute. Your hormones start going... I think there's something to this. 
I'm telling you, I got the most insanely high instructor ratings. You know, it has nothing to do with my actual teaching ability, right? There's tons of research that suggests that. It's just because I come across as friendly and approachable, one, and I show cute kid videos in class. Yes. So there we go. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to test this hypothesis. Somehow I'm going to integrate baby videos into my courses. Maybe I could do the lab sections. I have two separate lab sections and I'll get the TA to show baby videos in one of the sections and not the other. (laughs) Good experimental design. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like just like barely contextualized either. They just happen to be streamed. Like, let's take a five minute break to watch this cute baby. (laughs) This baby is standing next to the equation for a mean. I want. I, I want. Yeah. I think you know what. There's this. There's a. There's a conference called the Conference on Teaching of Statistics. I, I'm saying I'm messing up the name. I should def- definitely submit a poster. Just pre-register. Next semester, we're gonna teach with babies. See what happens. I thought you might win an Ig Nobel Prize with that idea, Jess. <laughs> oh shoot! You just told everybody listening to our podcast that idea. Don't steal her idea, everybody. Oh, my gosh. You know what? Please steal it and write up the paper. That's fine. I would, I would love to see it. <laughs> I would Exactly. But I yeah, would love to see that paper. We do luck out when we teach child developmental science. You know, it is lucky to, um, to teach fun, engaging content for the most mm-hmm. part. It, babies are naturally engaging. Children, yeah. young children are naturally engaging to mm-hmm. most. Teenagers. Well... You are God. raising one right now, so <laughs> we'll just maybe we'll just dot 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 that one. Oh man, <laughs> the eye rolls, the eye rolls. Yeah, oh, show, you're right. I never really got to that point in my child psych class where I just show teenagers rolling their eyes over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, teenagers are remember they're amazing, right? You know, they do cool stuff, too. And they're like trying to change the world and see it. You know, they're inventing new parts of our language. Right. Isn't that where it's happening? Mostly like in teenagers. Yes. And they're like, aren't they also the most um, like uh, like. I want to say giving, but like charitable, like they they really want to save the world and do mm-hmm. stuff and get out there. You know, there's all these stages. The Oh, well, not real stages, but, you know, parts of being a teenager that are. So yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we focus, we can focus on that, the positive stuff. Teenagers are cool. We don't mean to put them down, but yeah, the eye rolls are quite a bit. Yeah. I, I don't feel like the, they happen to anyone who's not the actual active parent <laughs> or a person in authority. We'll see. You know what? We can test that too. <laughs> we'll have a call later. Okay. We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. So that's our, so far we've had translating to parents and community theme-ish. We have the, it's fun to teach the students. Uh, and then the third theme that we kind of pulled out of our tweets was informing other fields, um, how you can kind of, um, inter- the, the tweet was introducing people to the field and leveraging my developmental psych knowledge to inform work in other disciplines like consumer behavior in this example, which is a field that I have never considered taking developmental science to. Uh, but I've definitely thought, uh, you know, uh, well, I do, a, you know, applied cognitive development, so you can't help but kind of apply it to cognitive psych 
and mm-hmm. be like, how did those adults that you're testing and this like fine experimental, you know, paradigm, how did they get to that point? How does it develop? You know, what, what is that? De- yeah. Is that, is that cognitive skill that you're testing? It do, like, do infants have the precursor to that skill? Do they have that same skill? Does it develop? Is it expectant, you know, develop uh, experience expectant, you know, is it, those are, that's my developmental science brain. As soon as I hear anything about anybody's talking about adults. Yeah. So. Where'd that come from? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. And I think um, it's not here in informing other fields, but I do think, you know, we study human behavior. Ultimately, that's what we study. And it does make it easy to collaborate with people in other, not easy. It does make it advantageous when we collaborate with people in other fields who maybe don't think about what they study as human behavior. Mm -hmm. To take a human behavior lens on it really can sort of change and push those ideas forward. I remember meeting with a a graduate student. I was on one of uh, one of her committees and she studied how people like people she was in um, what's it called studying like was in architecture and who remodels their house. That was her question. So she had this massive data set of like the entire city of Boston or something, like massive, massive data set. And so she was using things like, if your neighbor within this distance has remodeled their house, will you also invest and remodel your house? So those were the kinds of questions she was looking at. And it was really interesting and cool. But she hadn't ever thought about it in terms of that's a human decision. Oh there are gosh. lots of like, let's think about what influences the human behavior. They were looking at all these systemic yeah. Like the rules that were being laid down by the the zoning laws and all this other stuff, but hadn't really brought in the human behavior aspect. And so talking with her about that was so rewarding and so interesting to sort of go down this whole other path and trajectory for her research that she hadn't really thought about before. So it's fun. We can We can study anything. Just about anything is human behavior. I think that's why so many of us get into meta science is because that is human behavior. Oh, it's just then focusing on us as scientists. Mm-hmm. We're really good. I mean, we study babies. We study adolescents. We study adults. We study aging. We study what's like literally right under our noses. It makes sense that we would want to study science as a field mm. and how we do it. Oh, I went Whoa. into meta P-dimensional space. Things. Wow, did you ever? <laughs> <laughs> You're so smart. Aww. you're so smart <laughs> you're one of my favorite things <laughs> you're one of my favorite things <laughs> okay thanks for coming okay. on this ride with us you guys yeah, thank you are also our favorite things. yes thank you <laughs> um okay so that's informing other fields at least about developmental science and i think the last piece I wanted to talk about with this leads us actually into our next theme. And I think mm. the next theme I very roughly called the methods are complex. And we mm. say that in the most positive way possible to say that. And so yeah. to me, one of the ways that developmental science, really how we can interact and inform other fields is, you know, by nature, developmental scientists are interested in change or the lack of change, but the, mm-hmm. you know, how an individual grows or doesn't grow across time. And I think then that lends itself to thinking developmental science as a method. Uh, and then that a method can be applied into all fields, you know, um, even, you know, it's just repeated testing, you know, mm, and, mm-hmm. and being interested in the reason behind that, you know, 
why, you know, the autoregressive path is not 1.0 for every model, you know? (laughs) Yes. And so I love the way you just put that. (laughs) So that's my informing other fields moving into the fourth theme of methods are complex in a really cool way. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people responded under this theme, right? Because I think, well, at least how I define developmental science, how we define developmental psych at FSU is that it is a method that's then applied to the other areas. Mm. Um, And so, uh, you know, I'm in it. One of the tweets we got was, uh, I love how complex it is, uh, developmental science that is. Uh, Humans are complicated enough when you just take a single snapshot in time. Setting them in motion and studying change is the next level of interesting. And holy heck, yes, it is. I could put that on my wall too. That's just so brilliant. (laughs) That's our inspirational quote. (laughs) Studying them in motion and studying change is the next level of interesting. It's true. It's so true. And it's so hard to do. And it's so, it's so, yes, I just, I find it to be fascinating and interesting and extremely rewarding. And it's always the question. Like you remember, I remember a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about the questions that sort of drove us into this field. And you said one of yours was, yeah, but why are some people different than other people? Mm -hmm. And mine is always, but what if one person changes more than another person? Yeah. That's how we got to within and between. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's very true. And I agree. All right. I'm going to read. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to read the next one here, which is, um, I love getting systematically to study mechanisms of developmental change and the creativity and ingenuity that developmental science, perhaps more than any other branch of psychology, affords, especially if, like me, you study infant cognitive development. So yeah, same idea here is we're studying developmental change and studying the systems behind developmental change. It's just like somehow it's simultaneously huge and also really small. Oh, I get the huge tiny things. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that what you were saying? Small. I got the huge idea. It's a huge idea. But why the small? Well, it's small because the way that we study huge things is by narrowing in on specific uh, mechanisms or pathways or pieces. So mm. oftentimes, if you read a developmental science introduction, you'll it'll say something like, uh, reading is huge, reading is important, uh, some people are failing at reading, here is one, like, letter knowledge is one example of reading, the letter D is really hard <laughs> to decode, so here's a study about the letter D, so it's kind of... I over-exaggerated. We yeah. usually stop at alphabet knowledge, but yeah. <laughs> it's that funnel of an idea of like, here's the big, the system, we're studying the system. And if the system works like I think it works, then this is, this should have been, a, this should be a consequence right here. It's so interesting because, you know, I always say one of the reasons why I like develop, being a developmental scientist is I like big questions. I like what, knowing how like these big you know, component skills or, you know, whatever, how they change across time and not like tinkering at the real mechanic, uh, mechanistic level of real, like fine tuned, small stuff. I like bigger Mm. questions. How does, how does math, one of the reasons why I love the field of studying math development is there's still, we're still not fully sure exactly kind of how the math skills develop. There's no real theory still yet of how, how we go from an infant that potentially can understand the difference between quantities to, you know, to doing calculus. Yeah. 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 uh, And so I love that. Like how do one, how do skills build on each other and how, how does it matter then with how we're instructing it as well? So to me, those are really big questions. Um, 
but I hear you as well. Cause then yeah. we, you know, and then it's not like math failure across the you, the world, you know, and then now I'm looking at, okay, how does this one very specific skill of how can you understand the difference? Yeah. I think that that comes dots? from my, my writing of hypotheses. I do a whole lot of working with students and, and faculty and staff members and anybody who's doing research designs. I do a lot of work with them on taking those huge ideas and breaking them down into testable hypotheses, which is one of my most favorite things to do in the whole wide world. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I do that a lot anyway. So that, and that's part of that theory of change of your, like your theory of change of how things work is something has to manifest in a way that's testable. So you can't just ask the big questions of like, how does math develop? You do have to be more specific. Eventually you have to get into something more specific of what does that mean? What do you mean develop? What do you mean math? <laughs> what do you mean change? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you must be a wet blanket to some PIs. <laughs> I don't know. I do it just with a very develop. big smile. <laughs> yeah, just I just want to know how it develops. <laughs> <laughs> You know, another thing I like about this tweet that we got, I think it hits on a little bit about the creativity, right, of developmental science. And, and they're speaking as an infant researcher. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you want to engage students, undergrad or even graduate students in like developmental science work that's outside of their field, I mean, give them an infant study because yeah. it is there. It is just like the methods are just cool. Now, are, is there a lot of controversy about some of the methods and they're like going through new methods but gosh, there's like the creativity to come up with these paradigms to, 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 mm-hmm. you know, get at, you know, a nonverbal, you know, infant's brain and like what they know and how they're interacting with their environment is so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's, it's, it's fun for students, I think, to try and solve that problem methodologically like just sort of think through how would you do it if you could here you go study an infant what are you going to do how are you going to figure out whether they know this or don't know this and keep in mind that they're only awake for 20 minutes at a time yeah and quiet alertness at least (laughs) so you got to do it then and that leads us into the next tweet so the one unexpected thing that I love about working with children is that you have to design short studies that are fun it keeps me focused on one key hypothesis uh, and I also now like to make equally short, fun, engaging studies for adults. Mm, so yeah. cool. You got so keep, true. You got to keep a kid engaged, man. They they can't just sit and just do something because they're being asked to. They no. they have no that that social pressure, whatever that social pressure is. I don't actually know when it develops. And then the, this is me talking about developmental science. So I'm like, when does that develop? <laughs> but. <laughs> It is not in my six-year-old right now. No. <laughs> so it's not then. Not in my nine-year-old yeah. either. Not at all. <laughs> no nope. amount of, like, if I don't want to do this, then that's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to leave. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm just done now. So yeah, they're, they're exactly right. It's, it is a key thing to think through. And I think people who are new to developmental science might not even consider that. Just sort of think about the constructs they want to study and realize they have a two-hour battery. Like you can't, you can't give a two hour battery to a five-year-old. It's not happening. As much as an individual differences researcher that I want to do that. Oh, I know. You know what you're <laughs> going to be measure if you do a two, two hour battery on a thousand five-year-olds? Noise. Oh. You're measuring how quickly they get bored. That's what you're measuring. <laughs> wow. Some real talk here. 
<laughs> you split them up a little bit. People do that. I mean, I yeah. read these grants. People will split them up and you'll do 20 minutes at a time and that's totally reasonable. But if you, you can't do a straight two-hour battery. No, Nobody will let you. Your IRB probably won't let you. I don't know. Maybe they know that. Maybe they don't know that. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I don't know if I've ever heard our IRB have an issue with that, but it's not like I've pressed it too hard, so... Yeah. Okay. Another tweet is one is the creativity. So the same idea of creativity, developing paradigms that are clever for testing what we want to test and finally keep the interest attention of young children. So I mm-hmm. think this is, seems to be this theme is bringing out a lot of creativity in our developmental science Twitter followers. Uh, you know, they like they like that side of it. You have to be this, you know, especially if you're doing experimental work with kids, but even if you're doing, you know, individual differences studies like me, you have to think about the length of the, of what you're doing. Um, you know, you might get into, I have a colleague that had to get into, you know, fun missing uh, data designs, right? <laughs> with this idea, if you want to do everything, but you can't do everything with kids, then let's get into cool ways that we can use missing data. Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Maybe we should do a missing data episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plan missing data is one of my favorite things to talk about. Can really, it just, it blows people's minds when they learn you can do that on purpose. You can skip data on purpose. You can deliberately not collect data from people on purpose. And it's okay. It's not just okay. It's better in so many ways. I know. And you know, I know this and I still struggle with enacting it. I know that my colleague was nervous about it the whole time. It just feels weird. (laughs) I know. Well, especially because you're interested in individual differences. It's really, it mostly was designed to be group differences research. Like if you're Mm -hmm. trying to compare two groups of people, then it's easy. You can not give some people some things and it's, it's kind of designed in that way. So I can see why you'd be nervous. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if you want to give a two hour battery and you only get 20 minutes, you got to do something. Something's got to go. And it's either people or items. <laughs> you guess it's gotta be. It's got to be the items. <laughs> Keep that in. I need yeah. them all. Give me all the people. <laughs> so another tweet we got was the deep and thoughtful appreciation for measurement, context, and change, right? That is literally what developmental science is. So we have to think about what we're measuring. I think maybe... Tell me what you think about this. Do you think right. that developmental scientists, I'm almost now already disagreeing with myself, but do <laughs> developmental scientists, go ahead. Do we appreciate more issues of measurement? Do we appreciate issues of measurement more potentially than some other fields? Because often we're approaching thinking about kids and thinking about what does this measurement look like in these children at this age? And we're thinking about our participants because they're not just all the normal adults that are in the participant pools that everybody's participant pools are similar enough that the 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 measurement of that you know the validity of that measurement is probably fine because it's always been used in other subject pools but you're like well Mm. now I want to know about this in six-year-olds and what does it even mean in six-year-olds does it even Mm. exist has it not developed yet um I don't know Mm -hmm. that's a just throwing that out there you know yeah I wonder you know on the other hand we people who are studying how children develop who are in that younger kids space are often not developing scales. We don't, we don't write original measures very often, unless it's like a grant to write a measure and it's like Mm. the whole deal and you've got two years to do it. But if you're, but I feel like if you're studying social psych sorts of things, if you're studying adults, I feel like they're 
churning out scales all the time. It's yeah. like, I'm interested in studying how people feel about Game of Thrones and how that's related to their extroversion. So here's my Game of Thrones knowledge scale that I made up today. Yeah. And that gets spit out into the world. I don't know how close attention people pay to the item, the like reliability and validity of a Game of Thrones knowledge scale. But I've certainly filled out several of those in like student projects and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're maybe right. That's the, the counterpoint. Um, I do think we have yeah. a really good, better appreciation for context than many yeah. other fields. Yeah. Um, we certainly are very concerned with what happens. And in this idea of as soon as you observe the thing, the thing can change. And we're often very concerned with that and very concerned with what's a lot of our questions actually have to do with what's happening in the environment and how is that influencing development and change. Mm -hmm. And so, so we're then, explicitly focusing on those pieces. Yeah, and measuring the environment and trying to see how much of a role it has. Yeah. Yeah, measuring the environment. It's not easy. Mm -mm. Okay, let's get into our last uh, yeah, our theme. Last or maybe penultimate section here, which is kids are fun and interesting. That's what we themed it. I love that we did qualitative coding. <laughs> We did do qualitative coding. <laughs> I feel like there's there's a name for this, but I don't I don't know what it's called. But we went through and validated each other's choices of which categories we created the categories, and then we don't know what we're doing. Please, qualitative researchers, don't be mad at us. No, we have no idea what we're doing. This is not um, appropriate qualitative. No, and so within this, because this was by far and away the most frequent comment that Twitter users gave us this general within this general theme of kids are fun and interesting. We actually broke it up into two sub themes in that kids are fun and interesting as research participants. And then kids and fun and are fun and interesting period. Yeah. I'm going to start with the second one. Cause those okay. that's just pretty straightforward, which is yeah. kids are amazing and mysterious. Yes. Check. Agree. I mean, just in so many ways, like coloring the eyes of the kids in your coloring book, for example, Oh, like my, my kid, if you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen a saga of my child um, thinking that he sees red eyes in his curtains. We think his bedroom faces the, the driveway and we think in like a half sleep state, he saw like reverse taillights of a car and he like now thinks that there's red eyes in his curtains. Anyway, we don't, he, he no longer has curtains. We had to remove them because he couldn't sleep in his bedroom with them. Uh, and then he proceeded to color every set of eyes that he can see is on any coloring page bright red and let me tell you <laughs> freaky freaky <That's> so scary <laughs> and then i found out my postdoc who's a huge x-files fan then told me there's an entire x-files uh episode i forget what they're called shoot uh, like some sort of monstery yeah i can't thing. remember what the monster's called it, it has a name um, and that episode was filmed and is based on a national forest that's just a, like 30 minutes outside of Tallahassee. The episode is all based on that forest and this location. Oh, and what? You, oh, did you miss this part? Man, scary as shit. Literally, if you look at how X-Files set up this monster, it looks like what my kid was drawing in the coloring. No. Yeah. Bright red eyes. Stop oh, it. Scary. So, man. <gasps> Kids are mysterious and they're Kids amazing. Kids are mysterious and strange and amazing. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, this we had another tweet that said, young kids are optimistic, funny, and beautiful humans. 
I mean, I just agree. They're so just many of so, them are so earnest. They are. I was going to say, I'm loving having a six-year-old right now has been a lot of fun. I really like the age of five and six. Um, I think more. I'm more of that age range than like an infant type person. And so <laughs> I, an infant type parent at least. So I really have been enjoying interacting with my kid at this age. And it has like, just like I describe it as his innocence, right? He only just recently even started to feel the emotion, well, the experience of being embarrassed, you know? So all of these years, he never felt embarrassment. Uh, And so, you know, would talk about anything, including things that now as, you know, as adults, you learn to be embarrassed about. And I just love it. I love, God, I love that. I love the way his little brain were him. Like he just recently figured out logic. Oh man. This is a dif- difficult as a parent because now he's like, but if this, then that. Yep. <laughs> and then you're yep. like, wait, wait. Ooh. Oh, crap. Yeah, there was there was. Oh, a hole we're here logic. now. Yeah, where there's a hole in that logic. You're right. That was just me being a parent being like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But if we can't do this, then why was I allowed to do that? that yeah. Sort of and like mm-hmm. digging out something from the past and you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and that also was three o'clock on a Thursday. Like, I, <laughs> I know. That little brain that's just soaking in all that information. Oh, just so their memory cool. is incredible. It's so cool. Yeah. I got something today that was like, do you remember how three years ago on Christmas we did blah, blah, blah? And I was like, what? How do you remember that? <laughs> What? No, I don't remember that. How do you remember that? And did it have to do with something that would have been beneficial to them to redo again? 100%. It was like, <laughs> yeah. eat candy or something. Yeah. yeah, eat an entire box of candy canes yeah. or something like that until of I course. threw up. Yeah. <laughs> Can I do that again? Yeah, and you're like, I'm not trying to relive that, actually. I had actually forgotten about that. Yeah, that's not great. All right, so let's get into kids as fun and interesting research participants. Yeah. Um. So the first one here is responses that I never thought possible, even in a two alternative forced choice paradigm. <laughs> and honestly, I see this a lot with parents. I, see, I mean, you see it some uh-huh. in kids who you're like, is this yes, like you or no, not like you? And they go sometimes, which obviously, of course, of course you would. But I see this in parents a lot, too. And it makes me laugh every time. They're like right in margins <laughs> where you'll say, <laughs> like, how many books did you read this week and they'll write they'll fill in the bubble for like five and then they'll write but two of them were really short books and so i'm not sure it actually counts as five books it might actually only be four books and you're like well shoot does it which number (laughs) and you have to just first of all we bring them up in meetings and they're just fun to talk about yeah (laughs) i don't think that one's unique to developmental science we'll get that anywhere but for but um yeah, we'll bring them up and talk about them. And then you have to sort of make a call, make a rule, write it down, don't change it. So when similar to that idea, how even, you know, kids will find a way through even a two choice force response <laughs> and they'll find a way to screw up that item on you. And then it makes you like, damn it, my data is all screwed up. And yeah. <laughs> similar to that is also kids always find a way to surprise you with their responses. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I want to talk about that. There is actually a second part to this tweet that is, um, well, okay, we'll get to the second part. So, and it's not creepy when they tell you that they love you. <laughs> <laughs> I would find this creepy if my adult subjects said this to me. Yeah, it's- no kidding. <laughs> In your undergrads, you're like, 
I would like for you to leave now. Yeah, we're going to have to go ahead and get another adult in this room right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is so cute when kids say it and like when they want to give you a hug or, and they got their snotty nose and you and you're like, oh, darn it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh good old that. days. Back when we kids, could do that. I know. Oh, okay, well, let's not go there. That's This is a okay. happy, this is a happy stuff. Right, 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 right. So also kids, so kids always find a way to surprise you with their responses. And I am going to steal a joke. Uh, it's a, 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 a series of joke answers that my colleague, uh, Dr. Colleen Ganley, always talks about in this really cool paper that she did. She is a developmental scientist that is interested in uh, validating good measures. Uh, mm-hmm. And she um, usually will hate any measure. She, she hates them all, even the ones that she's created, she promptly hates. Uh, <laughs> my role and our frequent collaborations are we have got to just set this measure. This is it. We can't keep making changes. Um, so, but so she validated this kid's uh, math anxiety questionnaire, and it's a great paper. It's a great paper to kind of walk through like a good validation study of a of a questionnaire oh, and a developmental science approach. But she always tells these stories about this. You in one stage of the validation of this uh, math anxiety questionnaire for children. Um, she did cognitive interviews. So she asked children to just free response what they thought about each of the math anxiety items. And I'm going to tell you all of them because I can't pick out which ones are best because they are so funny. Oh my God, uh, I'm ready. Okay. Yes. So this, this, the first item I'm going to talk about, this is the item on the scale. Figuring out if I have enough money to buy cookies in a drink is fun. So uh-huh. figuring out if I have enough money to buy cookies and drinks is fun. So the idea of, I'm sure that adult that created this is that like intrinsically you have to add up the, the, you know, in your head, the amount of each, uh, you know, the cookies and the drink and add it up and determine if you have enough money based on how much cash you have. You could see how maybe an adult thinks that this is a roundabout way to get at math in the environment and whether you have math anxiety. Uh-huh. This is what the children responded to when they were asked what this item means for them. Okay. I don't like cookies as much because they're not healthy for you. (laughs) Because I really don't like milk was another response. This is this again. These this is the, the what the kids were saying when they were th- like how they were. What do you re- think about this? Yeah, yeah. Why did you respond the way you did to this question? I picked that one because my mom she likes dr- cookies and drinks, and she does that. Actually, she uses coupons. <laughs> <laughs> and I like cookies and a drink. So that's four separate kids that when they were interviewed of why did you respond on this like Likert scale of, you know, Mm. anxious, you know, this makes me nervous to, to not nervous at all for the item, figuring out if I have enough money to buy uh, cookies and drink is fun or like me to not very much like me, I think is the scale, something like that. And then once they picked their choice and they were told why they thought that. Listen, let's just talk for a second about the working memory involved in that crazy ass question. No offense, person who wrote this question, but yeah. like, that's a lot of shit to keep in your head all at once. Yeah. For kids? Yeah. Yeah. For me, you were reading the question and I was like, okay, cookies and milk is, wait, fun? Wait, what's fun? I know. It's also oh, very formal. Having the worded. money. Yeah. Having the money, counting the, wait, it's not having, it's counting the money. Is buying the drinks fun or is, 
There's all kinds of stuff happening in there. I could see how you get crazy responses there. Yeah. So wow. here's another item that she tested out with these kind of interviews. So again, the response scale is something like very much like me to not very, not very much like me, uh-huh. like Kurt's scale response. And this is the item. It's a math anxiety item still. When it is time for math, my heart beats fast. Okay. This is supposed to be getting at the autonomic kind of anxiety reaction that um, if you've ever felt anxious before, you would probably feel familiar with, right? Yeah. This is how <laughs> the kids- Once or twice. Yeah, after yeah. they have responded on the Likert scale, this is what kids say of why they responded they did. Yes, because usually we have recess before math. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so again, the item is when it's time for math, my heart beats fast. Oh, of um, course that's what he said. Yeah, another awesome. one is because I've been using a lot of exercise before I do math. So because we do playground right before we do math. Mm, mm. Yes. Yeah. Same idea. Absolutely. And I'm going to give you the last set. There's a couple more. <clears throat> so the item is getting out my math books makes me nervous. Okay. So the idea like anticipate, anticipating that math is coming up might make you nervous. <clears throat> Here's what the kids said they were thinking about when they were answering that question. I don't have a math book. Oh, God. Yep. <laughs> and the other <laughs> one is no, because our teacher hands it out to us. <laughs> little buggers man (laughs) so literal oh god they are so literal that's so great (laughs) so the kids will always find a way to surprise you with their responses yep absolutely and as soon as you hear it you go yeah i honestly i should have seen that coming (laughs) my my bad actually my bad I was right before we got on this call, we were telling jokes. We were passing around, like telling jokes around my family. Mm-hmm. And like someone would say things like, what do you call? I can't think of them anymore, but they were like, I don't know, jokes. And my kids were answering so literally on purpose. It was like, what happens when you eat Christmas tree ornaments? And my kid was like, you'll get a stomach ache. It'll hurt. I was like, oh, yes. Okay, fine. So yes, they're just very literal humans. <laughs> <laughs> was that them attempting humor or were they were they being meta about their humor and trying to be humorous and pretending like kids answer literally? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't. I honestly don't know. Huh. It's all. Oh, it's so fascinating. I'm just thank goodness I like this stuff because I've been locked in the house with so many of them for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is more fun to watch other children do funny things, though. <laughs> it is. That's true than your own. Oh, my gosh. We definitely get so many fun responses. I remember getting – you get hugs from kids, like you said. When you, yeah. you ask them, will you please come with us, then you'll get a nice, like, thank you. I love you. <laughs> well, that's why working with, like, kindergartners or first graders, like, it's, like, the best participants to work with because they are desperate for the one-on-one. Oh, yeah. Attention. They're like, oh, yeah. Yes. Can I come do a math test for the next half an hour? Yes. Please. Is it just me and you? Oh, yes. <laughs> I am into it. I am into that. I remember I had, for one of the places that I assessed, I had a long walk. I had walked with these kids for like three solid minutes, three or four solid minutes. Because in, in Florida, that's where I was doing this, there was a bunch of, they, they have a lot of outdoor schools. Mm-hmm. So you're walking outside to get to the room where you can go test the kids, right? There's no outdoor hallways because it's just you're literally outside. 
<laughs> that's it. And so we were walking to the hallway. And I remember having the best hallway conversations with these you know, kindergarten, first graders. They're so much fun to hear them talk about stuff. I remember like all kinds of things. You'd hear about your favorite TV shows. You get to hear about, get to, you know, stay hip with the kids, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, by the way, I told my kids about your oh, no. your understanding of the word yeet. Mm-hmm. Which I definitely just pronounced as if I am 40 years old. Yeet. <laughs> and they laughed so hard. It was like <laughs> she used it as a hand. noun. And they were like <laughs> You said something like did a yeet or do a yeet and they were they died. Oh, it was great. I got a lot of parent points, so I appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> Welcome for being your lame friend. <laughs> With a child who's still not yet quite old enough to be using the cool language. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Oof. Okay. So another tweet we had was, I love watching videos of myself or lab members administering research protocols with preschoolers. Preschoolers are hilarious and say and do all kinds of amazing and frustrating things. We try to keep a straight face throughout it. Yes. Mm. You just yeah, you keep a straight face. Get? I like that you record yourself. That is brilliant. Because then you can keep a straight face during and then you can come back into the lab and be like, oh my God, you guys watch this. <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. Even the way they hold their bodies as preschoolers too, right? Like what they do with their physical space is amazing. And they're just yes. fun. Oh, they are so fun. Um, here, I'll do the next one, which is which is similar here. Listening to the narrative language samples of K2 students reveals so much about their understanding of the world, their home, their community, their history. I think this is a, a little, on a little more serious of a note, but also at the same time is so true. Mm-hmm. Just their, you know, their frame of reference is so specific that if you're listening, you can hear how different kids are and how different their experiences are. One of those kids, I remember talking to a kid who said, well, after I get home and I shower, then I do, then I can watch TV. And it's like their daily routine is you go home, you take your shoes off out the door, you get in the shower. And then when you're done showering, you can then go about the rest of your daily activities. And I remember thinking like, that's just such a different experience than anything that I have done or with, you know, with my children or in my life, which is just all helter skelter. Walk in the door and throw your crap everywhere. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> what do we have next here? Yeah. Oh, and then I guess, one. is this our last one? This is our last one. And this feels very kind of big. And, and, and so I think it's a good one to end in. Yeah. So they say, um, appreciating that across the lifespan, we are so interdependent on one another to feel, think, learn, grow, survive, and thrive. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. Huh. It really doesn't feel more salient than with kids thinking about kids. Mm -hmm. How environments influence people and how they influence one another. Mm -hmm. And how, like, think about this right now. We've just been talking about things that happened years ago or even recently and all of the joy that that brings us to relive those moments. It's true. We're all so interconnected. Hmm. Yeah, being a developmental scientist, I guess, actually, I just realized that all of these are kid-focused. We think about kids the most, but I know developmental science goes the entire lifespan. Um, mm. But at least focused in kids, man, 
Love it. I think that's why we do the work we do. Mm, I totally agree. I imagine you get some of these things. I've I've definitely done interviews with with college students and you get some funny, silly things of like people misunderstanding directions. There's lots of silly research stuff that happens, but um, you're right that experiencing kids is is so fun and unique mm-hmm. to, I think, the kind of work that we do. So I think we're pretty lucky to do this work. Yeah. These are a few of our favorite things. Are you going to do it? You gonna do it? Listen, Julie Andrews is a soprano. Okay, <laughs> I can change the key on you. Well, <laughs> uh, let's see. I can do. These are a few of our favorite things. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll write. We can write new lyrics to this and and sing it about developmental science. <laughs> well, all right. I thanks guess, for listening, everyone. Yeah, yeah and happy. Happy developmental science. Thanks for listening to this episode of Within and Between. For information about this and all our episodes, you can visit our website, withinandbetweenpod.com. Connect with us on Twitter at within underscore between, where you can send us questions about developmental science and developmental sciencing. See you next time. (laughs) 